Greetings, listeners, and welcome back to the Eurospeak podcast. On this episode, we will be discussing Brexit, an issue that has dominated news cycles since a referendum was called in June of 2016, asking the British public whether or not they wanted to leave or remain in the European Union. We will try to understand the origins of this result, how it has affected the relationship between the UK and the rest of the EU, and we will try to anticipate what implications the issue might have for the future. Joining me today is Professor Lino Brigulio, Director of the Islands and Small States Institute and former head of the Economics Department at the University of Malta. Thank you so much for agreeing to contribute to this conversation on Brexit. I'm pleased to participate in this podcast. I'm here on an Erasmus exchange program, and I hope this will lead to further collaboration between the University of Malta and Ateneo de Manila University. Thank you very much. So, I guess we should begin the conversation. To start us off, I thought we could begin with an examination of the roots of the UK's decision to leave the European Union. One of the long-term causes that is often cited for this is the idea that Britain has generally considered itself separate from the rest of Europe. There is even an apocryphal news item that was supposedly published in the Times which stated, fog in the English Channel, continent cut off. This supposedly exemplifies the British belief that it has thrived in isolation and can function well without the rest of the region. Do you think that this sense of exceptionalism has shaped the Brexit issue either during the referendum or during the more recent debates on the issue? Yes, I think it has. But to a large extent, not totally. In the community, there are other factors at play. During the 1970s and 1980s, withdrawal from the European community was advocated mainly by the Labour Party and the trade unions, possibly because the bloc was considered to be too capitalistic and too federalistic. There were also economists who did not believe in freedom of movement of capital and of persons. There were also arguments based on loss of sovereignty and the undesirables of federalism. Most importantly, the strongest arguments were based on controlling immigration. From the 1990s, the main advocates of withdrawal were the newly found UKIP, which is the UK Independence Party, and the number of Eurosceptic Conservative Party members, mostly driven by the idea of British exceptionalism, some even suggesting that the British way of doing things is superior to that of the continent. The story of Brexit may, have, may be considered to have started when the former Prime Minister David Cameron carried out a referendum on whether the UK should remain as a member of the EU. Most probably this was because the Conservative Party was afraid that it might lose votes to UKIP. The Brexit referendum was held, as you said, in June 2016, in which over 70 million voted, with 52% voting in favour of Brexit. Prime Minister Cameron had to resign because of this, and uh, he himself was in favour that the UK remains in the EU. Yes, that's right. Um, and based on what you're saying, it sounds like this is a political move as well as something that's actually related to European politics. Yes, basically, in the, elect- in the election for the European Parliament, many Conservatives voted with UKIP and they elected many UKIP members for the European Parliament. And obviously, Cameron wanted to attract them back into the Conservative Party by promising 
the referendum, mm-hmm. but he didn't expect and he didn't wish that the referendum would go in the way it did. Right. And so it seems like both exceptionalism and domestic politics played a role in the current issue that we have today. Can you think of other factors that need to be highlighted as causes to explain Brexit? Well, as we all know, the UK was never really a fully collaborative member of the EU and had negotiated a number of opt-outs, that is, exceptions from the, from the rules. Also, the level of support for the EU in the UK has generally been lower than in other member states. Also, during the Brexit negotiation process, the EU took a strong stand against further exceptions and opt-outs. And this may have created bad blood between the EU and the Brexiteers. Interestingly, however, I think it was the first time that we saw so many flags with the 12 golden stars on the blue background flying and being carried during demonstrations in London and elsewhere in the UK. One could watch on television all these blue flags. I don't think there was a scene like that before. I think so too. Uh, Whenever I watch the news, I I often see these blue flags of the demonstrators, pro-EU demonstrators, I believe. And I think one of the effects of this Brexit has been that pro-EU social movements have arisen in response to the anti-EU. Yes. Also, one must keep in mind that the Brexit vote was mostly driven by older people and people with lower education. There must be, you know, an increasing number of younger people and better educated people. In fact, there was man, there were many polls that showed that if a referendum was to be taken again now, probably it will go against Brexit. Obviously, nobody knows exactly unless the referendum is actually carried out. As you said, there are now a lot of movements and there's an um, open expression of many young people wanting to remain in the EU. Indeed. Partly, I suppose, because they actually experience the benefits in their lives. Benefits, openness, exchange, these are values which are given a a high importance by a section of the population, I would say, mostly uh, among those who are better educated. Indeed. And young, I suppose. Yes, and young. Yes, and young. So perhaps we can now turn to the topic of how Brexit has transformed the relationship between Britain and the European Union. Do you have any thoughts on this topic? Yes. um, Brexit is likely to have a negative effect on the EU, for sure. Primarily because this means a loss of an important member state. The UK is one of the bigger or the larger member states. Obviously, there will be a loss of revenue because uh, Britain happens to be a net donor to EU funds and also a reduction in trade within the EU itself. Um, Brexit is also likely to favor those who wish, who are against really, greater integration. And therefore, the UK might take a very strong stand against exceptions to discourage other countries from wishing to exit as well. However, the fact that there has been a deal which was negotiated by Boris Johnson and which will lead to Brexit on January 31st, yet this new agreement 
is not the end of the story because there are going to be further negotiations until the end of the year. And it is known that, or it is anticipated, that the EU will take a strong stand for not letting the UK having the cake and eat it too. Mm. And we anticipate very strong um, discussions, very heated discussions, with Britain wanted, wanting the exceptions, and the UK stating that they need not only discuss trade, but also standards, the environment, working conditions, etc. Right. And given that, do you think that the process, the next stages of these negotiations will be quite difficult for the UK? Yes. Now, obviously, on the 31st of January, there's going to be a lot of jubilation on the part of the Brexiteers. However, as uh, the President of the Commission said, the deal was the easier part. Mm. The harder part will start possibly in March of this year. Britain, as I said, will try to set its own rules. And the UK insisting that the chances of free trade, similar, for example, to those signed with Canada, will not be possible unless certain convergence remains. Also, Ursula von Leyen, the President of the Commission, made it very clear when she met Johnson that the process will not be an easy one. Also, in this regard, I think we should also consider the possible relations that Johnson might seek with the USA. Indeed, yes. Now, we all know that dealing with Trump is not an easy matter. Trump is not an easy partner, mm-hmm. and he may request tits for tits, Indeed. or quid pro quo, yes. as they're saying now. So probably for a free trade agreement, he might request a convergence on policy. And we know at the moment that Boris Johnson, for example, has taken a stand on Iran, which is different from that of the EU, from that of the USA. So there is no guarantee that the free trade possible agreement with the United States might occur, especially knowing that Trump is so unpredictable. Also, there are other factors which has led to divergence. The issue of the Huawei um, 5G, also the issue of an American diplomat who had a fatal accident. Britain wants her to come back to UK for trial, and the United States does not want to do this. So there are various divergences. So looking for possibilities that the USA might reduce the problems that the UK might face when it leaves the EU are not that certain. Indeed. It seems like the USA's role here is a hope for the UK, but it seems like that hope is very unpredictable at the moment. It might happen because it's in the interest of both. Trump doesn't like the EU very much, so it will satisfy him, you know, his ego, as I want to say. Also, the UK needs partners now in trade, so there is a win-win. But let's hope that Trump doesn't act you know, unpredictably and uh, that will uh, not um, demand Britain. Yes. Perhaps we can speculate on this. Uh, With regard to the relationship between the USA and Europe, 
Some people say that the UK was America's actor inside, or sort of their inside road into the EU. Like the Trojan horse. The Trojan horse. Does that mean that the US no longer has this Trojan horse inside of the EU? Of course. No. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, we always say that there was a special relationship between the UK and the USA. Now, it was not always really so. However, we know for sure that Trump is not really happy with the EU. You know, he often said things against the EU. Also, he's got this habit of um, changing his position, you know. So I'm not sure that is going to be easy for the UK to sign a trade deal, you know. And this, uh, these deals take a long time. So if, if a deal on trade, free trade can be done in one year, that will be a big exception. Mm, that's true. And since we're on this topic, perhaps we can slide into this final topic where we try to gaze into our crystal ball and try to anticipate Brexit's implications on the future. Perhaps you have thoughts, Professor Briguglio, on, on how Brexit may affect the UK, the EU, or even the rest of the world? Yes, obviously, as I said, the EU will lose a major part, a major member. It will, trade will be affected for sure. Also, there is the danger, although it doesn't look that this is going to exist as much as it was feared, that other member states may copy the UK. However, it seems that rather than this happening, I think the EU has become a little bit almost more cohesive after that. So it doesn't seem that's going to happen, not even by the Visegrad states. They have problems with the EU regarding immigration now. Uh, I'm not saying that the EU has solved all its problems, you know, there are still many problems. However, I'm, I don't know of any country who is now, let's say, is looking for leaving the EU. If at all, the EU is going to enlarge, you know, new Eastern European countries and right. Central European countries. So. So I think that fear has been allayed now. Yes, I agree. One of the interesting things also that, that comes to mind with regard to Brexit is it seems that because the UK has been a reluctant partner for the EU, the EU basically can now be stronger and it doesn't have this member that's always preventing them from deepening their integration. Yes, well... <laughs> Maybe somebody is saying good riddance <laughs> because Britain has always been a difficult member. And uh, there is a cartoon which shows a person, an English person, happy that they got out of the EU and asking, who's going to solve our problems now? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something to look for, I think. Since we're talking about jokes that have come about thanks to Brexit, I suppose we can turn to this. On a less serious note, one of the amusing effects of Brexit on social media has been a surge in creativity in puns that give names to possible future departures from the European Union. Although you did say that these departures are unlikely to happen, uh, I, don't knew, I don't know if you've heard of any of these, Lino, but the names that I find really amusing are Departugal, Italyv, and Checkout. I have to admit, people can be really witty when it comes to joking about serious issues. Yes, Brexit, as you say, has evoked a lot of humorous comments. There are many one-liners, for example, a favorite one-liner is this. Say goodbye to croissants, people delicious croissants 
were stuck with crumpets forever. <laughs> <laughs> like and that. also, during the protect, protracted negotiation, somebody said a Brexit deal could take 10 years. That's not fair. Most of the people who voted for it would be dead. But <laughs> <laughs> that is true, that is true. <laughs> and also, going about the future, you know, because there are possibilities the British people may change their mind. There are two words which were used. One is called regret, mm, which means British regretting, and the other is regrexit. Regrexit, yes, those are good ones. So anyway, you're looking at the, you know, um, Googling Brexit humor, you'll find pages and pages. Excellent. <laughs> I think that's something for our listeners to try out. Perhaps as a closing question, I suppose we could say that the experience of Brexit will prevent other countries from leaving the EU from now on? It could because, <clears throat> I mean, it is now very obvious that it is not easy to exit. No, it's not easy. I mean, one, for example, very difficult thing that is to be done is negotiating new treaties with partners of the EU and, and therefore trade partners also of the UK when the UK was in the EU. But now the UK, being out of the EU, will have to renegotiate these treaties. So it's not something that can be done easy, easily. And um, possibly this might have discouraged other countries from even trying. Right. So it seems like we may not be hearing of a departure or an Italy or a checkout in the future. So I think this is a good place to end our conversation on the topic of Brexit. I'd like to thank Professor Lino Brigulio for joining me today. I learned a great deal and I think our audiences did as well. I hope you had fun in our conversation. Yes, it was my pleasure. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, many thanks to you, our listeners. Hope to catch you next time. This has been the Eurospeak podcast. It's a leaving you for now. Thank you so much for listening to the Eurospeak podcast. If you like what you heard, why not leave us a five-star review? And for more episodes, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is contact.eurospeak at gmail.com.